Kings chapter 2, we're looking at verses 1 through 4 in the New King James Version. Now the days of David drew near that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may fulfill his word which he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. I believe that we see the picture of what a real man looks like. And every male is not a man. Every male should develop, grow into manhood, but every male is not necessarily a man. You starting out wrong already. <laughs> and prove yourself a man, a real man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies. 1 Kings 11, 1 through 8. But King Solomon loved better translation, lusted after many foreign women. Original King James Version, strange women. Norkri in the Hebrew, women not chosen by God, women having no relationship with God, ungodly women, but King Solomon loved many strange women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations, pay attention please, of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely, this is why, I don't want you to marry them, I don't want them coming over to you, and this is why he says, surely they will turn away your hearts, your hearts after their gods. Solomon, now God said, don't do it. These women don't marry. These women are off limits. I'm setting the boundaries. I'm setting the restrictions. Sure, get married, but not to these women. I want you to know in advance, Solomon, what these women will do if you marry them. Surely they will turn your heart away from me. They'll turn your heart after their gods. Did Solomon heed the instructions of God? Absolutely not. He's just like us today. The scripture says Solomon clung. In the original King James, it says that Solomon did cleave. It is debak in the Hebrew. He followed hard after these women anyway. Debak, it means to overtake, to catch by pursuit. But God said, not these women. They're off limits, right? Don't consider them a prospect. 
Now, understand today, there are just some relationships we don't even consider prospect. It's not to be taken into consideration. It doesn't matter how we feel. It doesn't matter how good they look, how cute she is, how fine she is, how nice looking he is. If God says, that's not the one, that's not the one. And that's not the one today. That's not the one tomorrow. That's not the one next week. That's not the one next month. So there's no prayer I can pray that's going to change God's mind when God says no. Surely they will turn your hearts after their God. Solomon clung to these in love. Everybody say, did it anyway. But don't judge him too harshly. And he had 700 wives. <laughs> now, princesses and 300 concubines. Those are females who cohabit with a male that she's not married to. Could you understand it if I, I said shacking? Wait a minute. 700 wives. Now, so the brothers understand it, you only get one, right? So when you enter into the institution of marriage, you get one, right? And you're committed to that one until physical death. If you're unmarried, you ain't got none. <laughs> uh, you might be courting, but there are some restrictions when we're courting. See, that's why I don't want him putting his mama up there. <laughs> Wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. How many women is that? Come on, I know you can count now. 1,000 women. So just imagine what he spent his time doing, right? 1,000 women. Notice the scripture. And his wives turned. It's not high in the Hebrew. They perverted his heart. They caused him to enter into a place of immorality. They corrupted his heart. Nata, his wives, turned his heart away from God. Didn't God say they'd do it? Didn't God say they'd do it? So it would be wisdom if we would heed the instructions of God because he's wiser than we are. They reduced him down to a lower condition. There's some relationships that will reduce us down to a lower condition. They'll change the posture of our heart. They will divert our affection away from God. There are just some relationships, they're off limits. They're just not good for us. You came to church on the right Sunday. Our lead pastor has been teaching out of this series entitled Trap House. As a compliment, my assignment is to teach out of a series that we taught several years ago. The teaching is entitled, What is This Relationship Doing to Me? This teaching deals with the trap of toxic relationships, unhealthy relationships, lethal relationships, deadly relationships, crucial to our emotional, our, our, our social, our 
intellectual and our spiritual health is the quality of our relationships. I want to repeat intentionally, crucial to our emotional well-being, our social well-being, our intellectual well-being, our spiritual health is the quality of our relationships. Some relationships are just not conducive to our growth and our development. We find in life at least three types of relationships. These relationships are influencing us by propelling us. We call them propelling relationships. They catapult us forward. They elevate the quality of our lives. They push us. They put pressure on the potential on the inside. And then there are the derailing relationships. These are relationships that pull us off track. These are relationships that tear us down. These are relationships that leave us scarred and, and, and wounded. Then we have treadmilling relationships. We're out of breath, we're moving fast, we're moving consistently, but we are going absolutely nowhere. The quality of our relationships dictate the quality of our lives. It's all throughout the scripture. We do not have to settle for mediocrity in our relationships. We don't have to settle for average. As a matter of truth, none of us, not a one of us, was created to settle for less than God's best. Knowing our creator, listen, and our identity in him is the basis for freedom and thus our refusal to settle for any relationship that does not elevate the quality of our lives. What is this relationship doing to me. And we're doing an assessment today. You're looking at all of the relationships that you're involved in and you're asking the question, what is this relationship doing to me? Because many of us lean towards settling. The devil presents us with a counterfeit before the real, before the authentic, before God's plan unveils, the devil will present us with a counterfeit. And wouldn't you know it, the inclination on the inside of us is to go right after counterfeit. His strategy, Satan's strategy against God's people is to deceive us into believing that God's word is a lie. It's just not true. We embrace the counterfeit and die with a counterfeit when we could have lived and enjoyed the real deal if we had simply followed God's instructions governing our relationships. Some relationships are off limits. Point of emphasis our behavior is proportional to what we accept as truth. When our son decided that he would take a bride, we had already uh, raised him, I believe, in a certain mindset. And he was of the mind that if my parents do not approve of this young woman, I will not marry this young woman. Our children understood. Can we talk today? <laughs> I'm already in trouble. Listen, our children understood there are some things you don't even bring to the front door. <laughs> you don't bring that home, right? Because is it possible that we're able to see something that you don't see? And because we've always wanted God's best for our children, we were always involved in what you think you should be bringing home to meet us. The evidence of what we truly believe is evident in our actions, especially during times of storm. 
I just want to rehearse, and you're hearing something that our church is very familiar with, that people really don't change on us. That it really, it just takes the right situation and the right circumstance to expose what's always been in the heart. We look on the outer exterior, but God is always checking out what's going on in the heart. So you didn't change on me. It just took the right situation and the right circumstance to expose what was always on the inside. And God is a master at moving in and through situations and circumstances to expose what's always been on the inside. Some relationships are not good for us. They're just not good for us. God created us relational beings. We need human interaction. To ensure that our relationships are void of toxicity, there are restrictions, there are boundaries, there are guidelines for our relationships given to us by God. I want to reiterate, the highest authority in the earth realm, whether we recognize it or not, is the word of God. Amen. So this is the... This is the manual for Christian living. This is the, the moral compass. This is our guide. This is the rule book. God has set before us some boundaries, and he expects that we, had, we would adhere to the boundaries that he has set before us. Therefore, our protection, the highest authority in the earth realm, is the word of God. And surely God knows how to, and he has a right to instruct us concerning relationships. So throughout the pages of of biblical history, God reveals to us, pay attention please, first and foremost, our identity in Christ. Why does God want us to know who we are? Because knowing our identity is the vehicle of empowerment which we need when we consider relationships. I need to be empowered. I need wisdom. We are empowered to live free from intimidation. We are empowered to live free from oppression. We are empowered to live free from the fear of man. We are empowered to live free from the fear of failure, the fear of rejection, the fear of loss, the fear of death, fear. We are empowered by God to live a life void of fear. And our ultimate goal in life should be, it must be, to know our Creator. We are the offspring of God. We're not a product of evolution. We did not evolve from some lower species. I did not come from a monkey. I actually came out of God. Before he created my body, my earth suit, this dirt pot, this container, my spirit was in the presence of God. So I understand that I am a product of eternity positioned in time to carry out a divine assignment. And the only person, pay attention, the only person who defines me is my creator. And the only person who assigns my task is my creator. So I'm not bound to any of life's experiences. We all go through trauma. We go through trouble. We go through drama. But that does not define who I am. I was defined by my creator. Before my spirit met my body, I was defined by my creator. I came out of God. Everybody say, I came out of God. And surely we are the offspring of God. And we understand this. There's one race. There's the human race. One race. There's the human race, right? Different ethnicities, nationalities, different hues, but we're all, listen, chocolate. You all have heard me say it before, and we need to hear it over and over and over again so we don't miss it. 
You got white chocolate and we got dark chocolate, deep dark chocolate. We got caramel chocolate. Understand? We got chocolate, but we all chocolate. One race. So I understand this. I am a product of eternity positioned in time to carry out a divine assignment. We all belong to God by creation, but we do not all belong to God by relationship. Because we all came here sinners. And some of us are yet sinning. And then others of us, we've entered into a relationship with him. And so now that I'm in this relationship with God, I understand 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I came out of God. I am the offspring of God. I'm a product of eternity, positioned in time to carry out a divine assignment. It is essential that I know who I am because that's going to dictate how I select relationships. And because I know who I am and I'm, I'm here to carry out a divine assignment, there's some folk you'll never see me rolling with. Because you're a detriment to my God-given assignment. Ooh, this is good preaching. Point of emphasis. Until living a life of purpose becomes more important to us than fulfilling our own personal passions and private agendas, we will forever make unwise choices that keep us in a place of recovery. And I pray today that after this teaching and, and as our lead pastor continues in the series, we will make some decisions that will keep us from being in recovery. Listen, many of us, we will not live long enough to recover from some of these choices. The Bible says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We must study our choices, and in the study of our choices, we soon understand why we keep experiencing the same old consequences. Our point of emphasis, one's identity is never rooted and grounded in one's life's experiences. Yeah, I've been through that, went through that, but that doesn't define who I am, right? So when change is necessary, God will not allow us to skip any aspect of the process. When change is necessary, when, when God, and he is all about transformation, when change is necessary, God's going to take us through a process and he will not allow us to skip any aspect of the process. He's not like many in the educational system. We don't skip grades. You stay in that grade until you pass the test. And we're going to keep on taking the same old test until we pass. You wonder why? Why am I experiencing the same? You haven't passed the test. Promotion doesn't come until I pass the test. As long as we're breathing, change is possible. Everybody say, I need to change. Need to change. Come on, let's say, I'll change, today. I'll change today. And it is a matter of the will. Our point of emphasis, how I see myself determines what I do, what I say, how I behave, and how I introduce myself to others. How I see myself, how do you see yourself? You see, if I see myself less than, then my selection of relationships will be less than. It's all in how I see myself. A person void of God-given identity wanders aimlessly through life, void of direction, void of purpose, conforming to the culture. And there's the danger. Because he called us out. We're in the world, but not of the world. I am in this culture, but listen, I don't adapt to the culture. 
I am in the culture to present Christ, the Christos, the anointed one, to the culture. But I don't blend in with the culture. I don't allow the culture to shape how I think and, and how I dress and what I do and where I go and my selection of relationships. My relationships, my attitude, how I think, that's dictated by my father, my creator. A person void of God-given identity will succumb to the dictates of the flesh and the evils of this world's system. It's important that I know who I am. A person void of God-given identity, pay attention, misbehaves and associates with those who do the same because they too have no sense of identity, no sense of dignity, no sense of worth, no sense of purpose. A person void of God-given identity conforms to addictive behaviors, beastly appetites, depraved desires, and low-level thought patterns. Everybody say, come on up higher, come on up higher. <laughs> I'm getting excited. All right, point of emphasis, to know my creator is to know myself and to know his expectations of me. To know my creator, God Almighty, is to know myself. And, and when I know my creator and I know myself, I know his expectations of me. And so he has some expectations when it comes to my relationships. Only the creator can define what he created. And his definition transcends human experiences. Yeah, what about what I did? And mercy pleads our case. God wants to be the priority. How many of us know this? God wants to be the priority in our lives. He wants to be the priority in every aspect of our lives. And, and when he's the priority, he gives us direction as to how to manage all of the relationships in our lives. His first command to us is that we love him with all of our hearts, our souls, and all of our minds. Matthew 22, 37. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. In other words, in totality of being in your trinity, I want you to make sure you love me first, that I am the priority. And when I'm first, when I'm the priority, then everything else, listen, we settle the issue with everything else because he's first, he's number one. In essence, God requires us just to love him. Love him and refuse, pay attention please, refuse to allow anything or anyone to jeopardize our relationship with him. So listen, if you will jeopardize my relationship with God, you're not good for me. I said, if you will jeopardize my relationship with God, you're not good for me. And, and listen, we got to be so free with this. It doesn't matter to me how you take it, what you think about it, how you feel, what you say about me. And, and you all are on all these social media platforms. You unfollow me. <laughs> and I'm still okay because if you will put my relationship with God in jeopardy, let me say it this way, you ain't good for me. It is crucial. It is crucial, saints, that we understand the impact that relationships have upon our lives because nothing influences our choices and our conduct more than our relationships. So important are our relationships that God set up the restriction. So let's consider this. Relationships are ordained by God, and uh, as they are ordained by God, this will happen. There will be purpose. So you accentuate my purpose, my reason for being. Listen, you strengthen my resolve to glorify God. There must be purpose in this relationship. Why are we in this relationship? 
What is this relationship really doing to me? Is there any purpose in it that glorifies God? When God ordains the relationship, there will be purpose. When God ordains the relationship, there will be power. You strengthen my resolve to rise above my weaknesses. You don't encourage my weaknesses, you see. When the relationship is ordained by God, there's peace. I'm not losing my hair, right? I'm not experiencing sleepless nights, right? I'm not in a place where I don't know whether I'm going or coming. There will be peace, that, that peace that saturates me, that transcends human understanding. When God's in it, when this relationship is ordained of God, there's no turmoil. I'm not saying that we don't have challenges or struggles, but I tell you one thing, we do have peace. When God is in it, when God is in it, there is purity. Listen, you encourage me in righteous conduct. I'm going to get ahead of myself. If this relationship is of God, you don't bring me no porn. <laughs> no, if this relationship is of God, you don't bring me pornographic paraphernalia or tell me to check this out digitally. If this relationship is of God. <laughs> I don't even know what this is, but I'm just going to say it. My son will check me later. Listen. If this relationship is of God, you don't bring me no rose and no bullet. What is that? What is that? What is that? <laughs> Why y'all not laughing? You don't bring me no vibrators. You don't bring me ways to sin against my creator. When this relationship is ordained of God, listen, you will strengthen my resolve to rise above my weaknesses. You'll add to the quality of my life and you will encourage righteous conduct. When this relationship is ordained of God, you protect me from exploitation and embarrassment. When this relationship is ordained of God, you increase my level of productivity. There is productivity. There's an increase on, on my ability to be fruitful, and you put pressure on the potential on the inside of me. You see, I haven't done all that I'm going to do. But in the relationship, you strengthen me. You push me. You put pressure on me to go higher, to do greater, to be better. Hold on to your seats now. When the relationship is ordained of God, there's provision. <laughs> You provide for the areas in my life where there's lack, which means that you're not a blood-sucking parasite. You're not a leech sucking the life out of me, right? God knows the impact and the outcome of every relationship. So let us examine our personal relationships and their impact upon our lives. We want relationships that empower us to live and not die. My brother experienced a relationship that caused him to experience physical death, right? Out of six, he was the first one to die, and how tragic was his death because his friend turned him on to recreational drugs. Would you call that a friend? That was not a God-ordained relationship. Well, ain't nobody make him do it, but you introduced him to it. And how many of us, we got hooked, we were trapped because somebody we trusted introduced us to it. 
And we're still trying to shake it because somebody we love, somebody we trusted, introduced us to it. And we're still trying to shake it because somebody we loved, we trusted, we even respected, introduced us to it. It was just that one time. But now I'm hooked. Y'all ain't saying nothing. We want relationships that build us up, never tear us down. You see, you heard the, the, the cliche, I can do bad all by myself. I don't need you to speak negativity in my ears, talk bad about me, to compound my weaknesses. We want relationships that build us up, never tear us down. Relationships that enhance our overall sense of well-being. We want relationships that provoke maturity in every area of our lives. Listen, we want relationships that close the door to evil. Relationships that glorify God. Where are we going to find these kind of people? Oh, they're here. It's just that you've been running with the wrong group. Healthy relationships are not comprised of the 50% rule. Married people understand this. Marriage is not 50-50. Marriage is, I give 100%, my husband gives 100%. Right? In healthy relationships, it's always 100%. Friends, we give 100% into this relationship. Why y'all looking at me like that? <laughs> you shocked. <laughs> Whoa. We need 100%. That contributes to the success of the relationship. Individuals who are moving in the same direction. Come on now. Individuals who are in step with God. We add stress to our lives when we enter into toxic relationships. Two sick people never equal one whole person. Can you see it? 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. Now, everybody say, God said it. God said it. All right. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. Now, you have to understand the distinction here. We minister to unbelievers all day long. We don't go to bed with them. In other words, we minister to unbelievers, listen, but we're not going to be found fellows in the same ship. Because there's protection over those of us who are in relationship with God. Right? So you'll understand this better as we keep reading. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? Everybody say, God said it. it. How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? Can you see it? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. It amazes me when I consider that I cannot comprehend the width of God, the depth of God, the breadth of God, the height of God, the vastness of God, can't comprehend it, can't wrap my mind around it, and yet he says, I'm going to make your body my dwelling place in the person of the Holy Spirit. So the scripture says the heavens, the highest heavens, cannot contain him, and yet he's made a decision, I'm going to live in your body. And I'm going to live in your body to the degree where I won't destroy you, but I can keep you. He's that kind of God. Can you imagine? 
He says, your body belongs to me. So it is important to me, speaking of God, what you do with your body. Watch out now. He says, I will live in them. Everybody say, God's living in me. Come on now. He says, and I will walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate. Now, how do you do that since in the marketplace, listen, we have to earn a living. Some of us medical professionals, right? Psychiatrists, counselors, engineers, CEOs, right? We have to work in the marketplace. We're around unbelievers all the time. How do we manage this kind of thing if God says, wait a minute, come out from among unbelievers and separate? There's a, a Greek word. Is it on the screen so you all can see it? Aphorizo. It, this is what it means. It means to mark off by boundaries. So I work with you, but we got some boundaries. To protect by limitations. I work with you, but there's some limitations as to how far we go in this relationship. We work together. We're colleagues, yeah, but we ain't running buddies. Right? Understand this. We are guilty many times by association, so you might not be doing it, but you're running with somebody who is doing it, so you are charged guilty because you're running with the one who's doing it. You understand it. You ain't selling dope, but you're running with the ones who do. So you're guilty by association. What's wrong with y'all? Y'all ain't selling dope, are you? <laughs> hey, no, not, not, not the people of God. That's what they do in the world. That's what they do in the culture, right? But we have honest living, so we work with our hands. We do the thing that is good. There are limitations on these relationships. So he says, separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Oh, wait a minute. Don't touch that. They're filthy things. How would you identify their filthy things? Ooh, we, we get in trouble starting naming those filthy things, right? Don't touch their filthy things. He says, now, wait a minute, and I will welcome you. You can't touch their filthy things and think that I will welcome you. He says, don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you. I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. God says, come out from among them and be separate. So if you're unmarried, there, there are some people you don't even consider when it comes to marriage. I should have gotten a real strong, robust. Now, you ain't going to mess with this now because I'm not going to lose this fish. I just caught it. <laughs> That's an electric eel. You throw that back. We don't keep that. We need people who challenge us. Come on, we're born again. We're sons and daughters of God. So now I need to be in relationship with people who challenge me to live a righteous life. People who arouse me to credibility. People who provoke me to pray and study the word of God. People who inspire me to be spiritually strong. People who bring conviction because of their commitment to Christ. People who pray for me and strengthen me and people who correct me. Now, I want to repeat this, you all. Listen, we do not need people who bring us pornography. We don't need people who bring us recreational drugs. We don't need people who bring us gossip and, and alcohol and filthy music and obscene and filthy talk. Obscene and filthy talk. 
okay? Obscene and filthy talk. But what kind of talk is that? That's dirty jokes, that's profanity, that's cussing. I'm not going to even ask. I know y'all not still cussing. You, you see, y'all see? That's, that's how we know saints are still cussing. Why, Pastor, why is it important? Because you're now a child of the light, the kingdom of light. And there's a language unique to those who are in the kingdom of light. And people with a, listen, I'm going to say it. People with a very poor vocabulary use profanity. <laughs> you just made me mad. You ought to be glad I didn't get up and walk out. You better not try well, that's right. There's a more effective way, a kingdom way, to express ourselves. And we don't have to use the devil's lingo to communicate. I ain't up here for you to like me. My son will be back next week. <laughs> I don't want to trade no places with him. I told him, you got a serious assignment. We do not need people in our lives who compete with us, who deplete us. We must know the difference, pay attention, we must know the difference in sharing our faith with people and entering into relationships with people. I share my faith with you, but I don't have to enter into a relationship with you. God has set up some boundaries, some guidelines, some restrictions for our relationships, and so we're gonna look at some questions for consideration. We're going to put them on the screen. What is this relationship doing to me? Now, you're going to be working this. You all are paying attention. Every relationship, assess it. What is this relationship doing to me? Am I moving forward in life, backward, or am I just stuck as a result of this relationship? God set you up today. Listen, does this relationship bring out faith in me or the freak in me? What, what is it doing? Wait, now, don't, don't, look, don't y'all be telling on yourself now. Don't tell it. Hey. <laughs> oh, they didn't know you were that freaky. Why am I in this relationship? Why? Have I become a stronger Christian since I've been? Pay attention. Have I become a stronger Christian since I've been in this relationship? Thank you, Holy Spirit. How did I get in this relationship? How, it is important. We're going to answer these questions, you see. And then some things are going to happen. Something has to change. God knows how to sever relationships so that he can get you in the place where he wants you to be with the people that he wants you to be with. Now, understand this. Many times we're in relationships with people, listen, and they're keeping the people who really need to be in our lives from getting to us because they're consuming too much of our time, too much of our energy. So in order for God to do what he wants to do, it's a prayer we have prayed for years in this church. Expose, reveal, and remove. And God knows how to do it. Is this relationship healing me or killing me? 
I'm almost bald ever since I've been in this relationship. <laughs> now, you know, this is just a family thing. This was years ago. My mom passed. This was 2002. Um, Lord have mercy. My mom passed, and so this was really a difficult time for me. It was the most difficult funeral I've ever officiated. And as a result, for some reason, and I've, I've never had this before, all of a sudden I started having panic attacks. And so I was back and forth, back and forth to the hospital. And, uh, you know, it was getting to be a, a, a strain on my husband. I think Jerry Jr. was really too young to understand what was going on. And uh, my daughter, uh, T.C., she, bless her heart, she kept running to the emergency room. And, and, and one, on one occasion, my husband had taken me to the emergency room. They discharged me and had to go right back. And so we were looking for my daughter. Now, y'all all right? This family talk, right? Yeah. We're looking for my daughter. And she's sitting up. She said, oh, God. <laughs> and we were wondering, where were you? We were waiting for you at the hospital. She said, I had to go get a drink. <laughs> she said, all these panic attacks, y'all drove me to drinking. <laughs> you are a child of God. We raised you in a Christian home, right? So why did I bring that up? Because some of y'all guilty, too. Ain't nobody drove you to drinking. You just went to drinking. Now, my daughter's not out drinking. That was just, that was a long time ago. Long time ago. Anyway, I've been drinking ever since I've been in this relationship. My hair is falling out. Some of y'all might like this part. I've been losing weight ever since I've been in this relationship. Is this relationship healing me? Or is this relationship killing me? Pay attention, please. Y'all still here? Did y'all leave and go home? <laughs> is this relationship glorifying God or is it glorifying Satan? Who gets the glory? Does this relationship elevate the quality of my life? Does it? Do I pray more or less since I've been in this relationship? Am I closer to God as a result of this relationship or further away from God? Is this relationship draining me, bankrupting me, depleting me? Why do I allow this person to occupy this space in my life? Does this relationship complement my purpose? All right, that's the right way to spell compliment too, just in case some of y'all say, yeah, that's supposed to be an I wrong. Two different aspects. In the context, this is the right one. Why do I continue to listen to this person? Why are you listening to toxic people, sick people, poison people? Why are you listening to them? You see, it does matter who's informing you. We've learned this. Whoever's whispering in your ear is guiding your life. Who's giving you counsel? Is the counsel I receive from this person from God or Satan? What are they asking you to do? What is there in me that keeps me from walking away when I know this relationship is destroying me? Bringing out the worst in me, just not healthy for me. Why do I stay in this relationship? You see, re redefining relationships is a part of life. There are times when we redefine relationships in that we reposition you or we retire you. Retire means you don't come back. Understand, no pursuit, 
no habit, no hobby, no relationship should have more power over us than the God who created us. No relationship. Now, when I say that there, there are some relationships that uh, we need to retire those folk in that you brought drama and trauma into my life. Pay attention, please. I forgive you for that, right? But forgiveness doesn't mean that I trust you. Forgiveness does not mean that you're reinstated. And understand this, I don't forgive you for you, I forgive you for me, right? You won't hold me hostage or you will not hold me in a prison by what you did. I forgive you for me. Now, understand forgiveness and trust are not the same. They're not synonymous. So you all understand this. In a marital relationship, I can love you, but if I can't trust you, we'll never build a healthy marriage. Why y'all quiet? Trust is essential to building healthy relationships. I must be able to trust you. And many times we trust before we have learned to love. You all know the deal. Whenever we go through premarital counseling, what do the couples tell us, remember? What do they tell us? Why do you want to get married? What do they say? <laughs> We're in love. And my husband say, no, you're not. Who, who, who's you? Who's you to say we, we're not in love? We're in love. No, you're not. You see, because when my husband married me, he did not love me. He was attracted to me. He saw strength in me. He saw what he wanted in a wife. He learned to love me. When he and I got married, I didn't love him. He's a godly man, kind. I mean, he was, rearra he was rearranging his life to get me. <laughs> I'm serious. He was rearranging his entire life because he saw something that he wanted. Now, and the order of God is that he finds me. So they haven't found you because you're on the prowl. That's, that's the women who are all over the place looking for him. He can't find you. Because <laughs> you're out of order. We learn to love when we meet imperfections. So when I find out your breath does stink, your breath don't always smell like that. Now, you notice how when you're courting, come on, when you're courting, you keep mints. Oh, your breath is always fresh. Right? You don't want to run them off, right? So you always smell good, your breath, I mean, you're well-groomed, and, and, and then you get married, and it's like, oh, gee, whoa. Now, you, I can really push this button, right? I can really push this button. I can really push, you know, because when you're courting, yeah, yeah, you know, when you're courting, I mean, everything is just immaculate. Hair all nice, all made up, long lashes, right? <laughs> oh, man, I'm getting trouble. Then you get married, and then you wake up. Those not her lashes, those not her eyes. <laughs> She ain't got no hair. <laughs> oh, man. She might not even have any teeth. <laughs> what did you marry? We laugh, you see. But look at what we're attracted to, you see. 
And the real deal is what's going on on the inside. Is that good? I know I'm going to run out of time. They always put me up and I can't finish. But anyway, we're just talking, right? It's important, you all. We learn to love. You want to build trust. Understand this, too, about relationships. All relationships must be, must be time-tested. Time-tested. Time is what God gives us. It's an asset. Test that thing. We want to see, is God really in this? And the longer we allow time to work for us, you'll find out exactly what you're dealing with. Don't be so quick to jump into a relationship with folk. Let time run its course. Amen? Amen. All right. Now, did I give you, um, I gave you a point of emphasis. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Let's go there. I understand this. Um, we will never meet perfect people. But we should desire relationships, pay attention, with perfected people. That word perfected people there, perfected is teleos. It is mature people. Right? Now, boy, marriage really is for mature people. It's not for children. There's some responsibilities that you're going to face in marriage, and it's no joke. It's like uh, you can rent, and the responsibilities are there, but they're minimal. You buy a home, oh, man, you're talking about some serious responsibilities. That's the way it is with marriage. There's some serious responsibilities. And so we need to be in relationships with people who are perfected. They're mature. doesn't mean they're perfect, but they should be disciplined. They should have direction, and they should be disciplined. Developed, disciplined, direction. So Jesus says this, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. So it doesn't matter how morally upright we are. We enter into relationships with people who are scandalous. He says, understand this. Don't deceive yourself. Bad company ruins good morals. See, that means they're telling me I'm out of time. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not through. <laughs> key, 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 key statement. God does not want his people entrapped by someone else's entrapment. God doesn't want to be caught up in that. He protects us. And one of the most difficult tasks in life is identifying and detaching ourselves from the company of toxic people, ungodly people, people who are poisoning our thoughts and influencing us to participate in ungodly conduct. Listen, because we're all flawed, we've all been guilty of pursuing something or someone that is killing us. It could be drugs or alcohol. It could be some habit, some attitude, some thought. It could be music. It could be movies. It could be gambling. It could be some pastor, some male or some female. And listen, like Solomon, have you ever lusted after or pursued something or somebody that you knew God told you, don't do it? It's true. Too often, we, like Solomon, we've been relentless in our pursuit of some foreign relationship, some toxic relationship. It is the untamed lust within us, and eventually it will destroy us. Our key statement, if we do not kill ungodly desires, those ungodly desires will kill us, they'll kill our peace, they'll kill our hope, they'll kill our future. God reveals much truth to us about the human element. 
the human dilemma. When we closely inspect the life of King Solomon, he was the third king over the nation of Israel. He got in trouble because he went against the instructions of God. Proverbs 13:20, in the message translation it says, "Become wise by walking with wise, with the wise. Hang out with fools and watch your life fall to pieces." So when we do an analysis of life's experiences, we have to examine the impact that our relationships have upon us. Our conduct our choices, our decisions. A key statement, one of the major contributing factors to failure in life, corruption in our conduct, perverted thinking and aborted purpose is toxic relationships. So Proverbs 22, 24, 25 says, do not make friends with a person given to anger. This is out of control anger. Or go with a hot-tempered person or you will learn, pay attention, you will learn his ways and find a snare that's entrapment for your soul. You see, this, this angry person is a person who is out of control, not man, it's, it's, it's void, a life void of self-government. And God says you don't need to be running with people who are out of control. Are y'all understanding? So this, this little principle here, when we do premarital counseling, I'm telling it on myself, we often ask our young ladies, you need to watch him when he's angry. One of our girls, we said, create a scenario that incites anger in him. <laughs> Y'all so sneaky. Incite anger in him. Because what you need to see is how he manages anger. It'll tell you a whole, a whole lot about the person. The Bible says in the original King James Version, it's a furious man, and the, the Hebrew word is kima. It is kimosh, where we get the word chemo. What do you know about chemo? Chemo is poison. So God says, you need to make sure you adhere to these boundaries when it comes to chemosh or chemo people. They're dangerous, they're poisonous people. Why oh, are y'all look, looking like that? <laughs> We're almost done. I'll give you a few scriptures. And uh, no, let me give you a few points and then we'll close. And then I'm going to ask our lead pastor if we can, maybe we can do some team teaching and we can talk about um, these toxic relationships. Can I just give us a few points and then we'll close? So I think actually I've given you all enough, right? You have enough actually, don't you? <laughs> yes, you do. All right. Listen. Okay. Let's Proverbs 12, 1, and then we'll close with these points. Whoever loves instruction, loves knowledge. Uh-oh. But he who hates correction is stupid. All right. Let's look at these points. In building healthy relationships, we need to be submitted to the authority of God's word and planted in the local church. I'm submitted to the authority of God's word. In other words, what instructions are in this book? I adhere to these instructions, and I make sure I'm planted in the local church. We need people in our lives who are stronger in righteousness and more grounded than we are. So I want somebody who's stronger than I am, not somebody, again, who's going to bring out the freak in me, right? I need somebody who's stronger than I am, so they encourage me on in this Christian faith. We need people who empower us to think correctly and live godly. I want to think healthy thoughts, right? We need people in our lives who help us remain focused. We're not all over the place. 
Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but meditate in it day and night, and observe to do according to all that is written therein. Then you'll make your way prosperous. Then you'll have good success. We need people in our lives who hold us accountable, confront the sin in us, correct us, and restore us. If I'm overtaken in a fault, this person will restore me, not exploit me. We need people, <laughs> I don't know why I keep on bringing this up, we need people who kill the freak in us, not arouse the freak in us, right? There must be a lot of freaky people, right? Okay, so listen, now you all remember, when I teach out of a series, I taught this weeks, months, so you just got a little snapshot. But I think you have enough right now to assess the relationships that you're in, right? And then you know to stay away from toxic relationships. And the only way you would do it, listen, go into a toxic relationship is if you choose to disobey God just like Solomon. He paid for it when he did. Amen? All right, stand to your feet. What I'd like to do really is just, I want to, want to just ask you all to pray the prayer of salvation with me. And you may say, Pastor, I'm already saved. I'm already born again. But there's so many who are not born again. Now, listen, church family, you can be in the body. You can be in the building. You can be streaming in. You can be in the building and not be in the body of Christ. Just because people are in the overflow and filling the auditorium and streaming in, that doesn't mean people are born again. Right? Jesus said you'll know a tree by the fruit that it bears. So we inspect the fruit. You see, when I'm in step with him, I live out the mandate of Scripture. I live out the instructions of Scripture. It doesn't mean that we're perfect people in that we never make a mistake. We're all flawed. But we should be perfected in that we're maturing and we're growing so much so that Christ is formed in us, right? And the world looks at us and they see us as the salt of the earth and as the light of the world. There should be a distinct difference between those of us who are in the kingdom of light, the kingdom of darkness. So everybody, so that we strengthen those who are not yet in the body of Christ, let's all pray this prayer together. Dear God, in the name of Jesus, I was born a sinner in need of a Savior. On today, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. I confess this with my mouth. I believe it in my heart. Jesus, come into my heart. Save me. Forgive me for every sin. Fill me with your spirit. And use me in your service. I renounce any and every way by which Satan would claim ownership of me today. I accept my position in the kingdom of God. Thank you for saving me. I give you worship. Come on, everybody. I thank you for it. Amen and amen and amen. The Bible says if we confess with our mouths the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus the Christ from the dead, God says we're saved. And he said, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be. Listen, it's not a maybe, not a might, shall be saved. Amen.